This is On and Off Your Mat podcast episode 123, inclusivity, accessibility, and community in yoga. Do you see yoga in itself as social justice? Like when you think of the meaning of yoga, the words union or to yoke, does that evoke directly inclusivity and accessibility to you? If this feels like a novel concept for you, or if you feel like you want to continue to be part of this conversation, today's episode is for you. For this episode, I sat down with Robin Labramka. As founder of Good Body Feel Movement Studio, which is a for-profit small business prioritizing progressive values, and the host of the Empowered Embodiment podcast, a somatic coach and a social justice advocate, Robin believes there's always an intersection worth exploring and sharing. She works to create and strengthen bridges between various industries and social causes, and in doing so has developed the Sharing Privilege online course, as well as a yoga 200-hour teacher training program focused on radical inclusivity and accessibility. No matter her project, Robin's work always comes down to community, empowering people to believe in the importance of creating a culture filled with compassion, so in turn it can fuel an environment of belonging for each and everybody. As you listen to today's episode, take a screenshot and share one of your takeaways on Instagram tagging at on and off your mat podcast. I will reshare you and together we can learn and grow and go deeper into the content of each episode as a community. All right, let's get to today's episode with Robin. Hi, Robin. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for inviting me. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your yoga and movement journey to get us started for people that don't know you very well here? Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Robin. My pronouns are she, her, and I am the owner of Good Body Feel Movement Studio, which offers daily movement classes, workshops, et cetera, et cetera, trainings that allow folks to use our daily movement practice or our movement practice as a vehicle to really uplift and explore our habits of relating. So mm. our habits of relating to ourselves, the sensations that might come up, the challenge that might come up, how do we talk to ourselves, what beliefs do we hold when we're given options to intensify or decrease, how do you say the intensity of the movement? How do we choose? What is our default choice? Is it intentional? Mm. So these are the sorts of questions that we ask while moving so that folks are really starting to hone in on their agency, their intentionality, and reassessing, oh, do I meet myself with kindness and compassion and curiosity and welcoming? Because that is a key into how do you meet others and what relationship dynamics might be at play with others in your family, at your workplace, with the land, with society. Mm -hmm. So for me, the reason why I created Good Body Feel is because I felt these sorts of discussions were lacking in conventional yoga spaces, fitness spaces. It left this trauma awareness as well as the interdependence that is mm. unavoidable. That it's just like our interdependence with each other and the land is something that's so true and a thing that I hope that we can use our movement practice as a way to really, really be mindful and aware of that. So the movement is more like 
the bait, right? Like, oh, like move your body. It's going to feel so good. And you're going to cultivate the strength. But then the inquiry is how, for me, is the real meat of what my practice has become and what my teaching has become is Mm -hmm. this conversation of how am I showing up in relationship? And is that working? Is it kind? And does it serve others? Yeah, that's a big inquiry. You talked about the lack of that type of discussion in the wellness world, in the yoga space. Is there something else within yourself, like an intrinsic motivation to focus your work on that kind of permission, on, you know, connecting to that embodied way as a way to lead into greater inquiries or, you know, service or the land or all the other things you talked about? Mm, Thank you for this question. My lived experience is the thing that drives it, right? For those who are are only hearing the audio, I am a woman of color. I'm queer. I have chronic pain. I have an invisible disability. I've had body dysmorphia my entire life. And often, like a thing that I'm really coming to terms with is that my body dysmorphia is really rooted in racial trauma. You know, Mm -hmm. like if I could make myself skinny, (laughs) then maybe it would erase the fact that I was brown and maybe it would help me fit into, well, maybe it would help me find belonging more. Like these were the, the narratives that I realized were at play. And so these are real parts of myself. I hold a lot of trauma. A lot of my identity intersects with various forms of marginalization, unfortunately. And so, you know, when I started really getting into yoga, often you'd hear things like leave everything at the door and leave all the bad vibes at the door so that you can arrive fully on your mat. And for me, that was a paradox, right? Because Mm -hmm. my body is the source and the container of the intergenerational trauma and oppression that I inherited as well as accumulated over my lifetime. So for someone to say, leave the bad vibes at the door, it's like, well, what's left of me by the time I arrive mm-hmm. to my mat? And, and it's so denying really need- a part of yourself as well. It's, Absolutely. it's absolute denial of who you are in this moment. Mm-hmm. And what is the outcome of denial of selves, right? Like what happens when we privilege and oppress? people, what happens when we privilege and oppress certain parts of ourselves is we create this divide. And so, you know, if yoga is about yoking and union, I really wanted to explore what would it mean to bring my trauma to the mat? Mm. What would it mean to have all parts of myself, even the really hard things to sit with? What would it mean to bring those as active conversations to my mat, to my practice, like not necessarily with other people, but like in my internal practice, instead of like pushing the bad memories or quote unquote, bad memories, quote unquote, bad feelings to the side. Bypassing. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So yes, spiritual bypassing toxic positivity is so rampant or was so rampant or maybe continues to be. And my healing needed something else. And if my inquiry was, oh, if my healing needs it, I wonder if other people will need it too. And as we've seen through the community that's been gathering around Good Body Feel is that when we center our healing and we're, you know, courageous with our vulnerability, it gives people permission to do the same. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we are leading by example by doing our own 
work and mm-hmm. by showing up within ourselves and for ourselves. And that just ripples then, even if you're not ready to have that be mirrored yet in your community, just by you being there and doing it for yourself, there's an energy there that shifts mm-hmm. and that transforms. Mm-hmm. But I think it's very interesting because I feel like everything you do, and maybe I'm making this up, but let me know if this rings <laughs> true, but starts from embodiment and then cascades into all the other things to get to a bigger and bigger and bigger lens of our experience within the world and the world within us. Does that Yes, thank kind you. Of, I, I, that, I feel so honored that, that that's what you're interpreting. Yeah. And <laughs> whether it was intentional from the beginning or not, it definitely has been part of the exploration. Like the way that I run Good Body Feel in my practice is like, what happens if I, you know, like what mm. happens if I really mm. listen to my body? What then? What happens if I let fear be here? I just saw a post on Instagram from a yoga studio today in response. This is like horrific in response to the climate between Russia and Ukraine right now. They posted something about like, know that what's happening in the news is meant to disrupt you. It's meant to cause fear. Fear is low vibration. And what we really need to be doing is only focusing on the higher vibrations of love. And for me, I was really angry by that because it's like, (laughs) there is a war happening. And now you're like, you as a yoga community, you're telling people to ignore the news and vibrate love what would be possible if we learn to have the capacity and the awareness, yeah, the awareness and capacity to hold quote unquote, lower vibrational feelings like fear, like Mm -hmm. what would be different in the way that we showed up in our relationships, if we could stay embodied, even if fear is present, what would be possible if we could stay embodied when conflict is present? What would be possible if we, because if we are only practicing embodiment with the quote unquote higher vibrational inner space. Yeah, when everything is good and easy. Yeah. Peace is easy to embody (laughs) when we are in peace, (laughs) which is not real. It's not present. So really what is happening is we're denying the truth of the present moment. And isn't that what mindfulness and yoga is about? Is to like learn to hold space for what's really truly here. I can't remember why we, we talked about that. Oh, yeah, the embodiment piece and the, the rippling out. Yeah, so, you know, it, it, to make it simple, like something that I'll often say is if, if we're holding a challenging shape, like a challenging yoga asana, or if we're doing a lot of reps of this challenging Pilates exercise, I often refer to it as a, a low stakes arena to cultivate resilience. Right. Because if you can, if you can hold chair pose for five breaths and be shaking, then you can be shaking at the dinner table, having a really uncomfortable conversation with somebody who is not aligned politically or not have the same value alignments as you do and be in that tension and be in that Mm. uh, charged engagement with each other. Right. So. Yeah, you know you're able to do it because you've practiced it in a container that was safe and easy for you to deal with because you only had to deal with your, maybe not only, maybe that <laughs> yeah, wasn't easy. To, I'll take yeah. a step back, but 
what you had to deal with was your own, you know, projection mm. and self-talk and mm. only with yourself. And now you're ready to add, you know, that into relation to another human where it gets more, you know, tricky and challenging. Yes. But you know that you're successful to do it on your own. And so you feel the confidence to then step out and be in the world yeah, <laughs> in that, from exactly. that embodiment place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I really think it allows us to show up in a, I don't want to say better way, but maybe like a fuller, more grounded, like able way to be mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. to be grounded in your values and your truth and be able to stand by those with someone that disagrees or in the creativity, in the work you want to put out in the world to stay aligned with that as fuel because you are embodied in a way that it's so clear what is yes and what is no within yourself. Mm. That there's no like doubt within yourself. You're like, no, this feels like I can tell in my body that this is the road to take. It's a lot easier to then follow that even if it looks or feels like against the, I don't want to say culture necessarily, but it might be like your micro familial culture or, you know, where you live mm. or, you know, your business and do choices or make choices that are different even mm -hmm. if, you know, they might be frowned upon to start with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I love how you frame that. You know, we have so much inner resource that we can intentionally tap into. And there, we often, not, I, I mean, I don't want to speak for everyone, but often what I've observed is that when we have these high-charged, uncomfortable feelings, we resist and we try to avoid or like we distract or we ignore. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I yeah. get that charged feelings are hard to feel, but we have so many inner resources that we can tap into to self-regulate and like, you know, all of the mindfulness stuff, all of the breathwork stuff. Like if we use our mindful breathing, how much longer can we withstand the uncomfortable feeling? And yeah, yeah. You know, like if, if you're, again, bringing it back to holding a difficult yoga asana, it's like, okay, what happens when we start to intentionally use our breath? Maybe you realize, oh, I can hold this for longer. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you realize, you know what, I need to adjust so that I can hold this for longer. But those mindful breaths, using the breath as a resource offers us time to reflect on what do I yeah, have get clarity on what for? your options are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do I have the capacity for? What do I need in order to gain more capacity? Or is mm. there a boundary here that I need to that I need to advocate for? Uh, yeah. And then same Which thing in a yoga class in might look like no matter what the teacher is saying, I'm actually going to step out of this for now. You know, yes. you still have that chance in a yoga class to set a boundary for yourself and be like, actually, yeah. this is not working for me. I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to do something else. I'm going to, you know, have agency over my own choices in my own body and I'm going to take that choice. And I think that also reflects, as you were saying, that option in the world of setting a boundary or taking yourself out of the situation until it's possible to mm. have the discussion or take the next action, regulate yeah. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's beautiful. So you mm -hmm. talked about the good feel, good body feel. I got it. Good body feel. Yeah. <laughs> and you also you have it. a teacher training. And I was reading about the teacher training and you talk about how it explores the intersection between the embodied practice, what we've been talking about, and community engagement. And as I was reflecting on 
how body engagement is that cascade effect into the bigger thing. And then I saw oh, community engagement is kind of the next step. Do you see mm. that as the bridge between our own embodiment and our capacity to then do anti-oppression work, for example, like something that's a bit bigger in the world or more of service for the grander scale of humanity? Yes, absolutely. And a belief that I really hold is that our mindful movement practice or our mindful practice in general needs to actively explore that bridge. Like self-care is selfish if it doesn't feed the community, right? Like if you are living in all the good vibes and you've got all of this inner resource and, you know, and your cup is always full, share, share your cup a little bit, have uncomfortable conversations because your cup is so full. And then you have the privilege or the quick access to be able to refill your cup again. But yeah, absolutely. I think it is important to see, okay, how use my resources and resources don't just mean physical resources. It doesn't mean just money and material or whatever. When I talk about resources, I Yes, exactly. Bandwidth, attention, your voice, your advocacy, your choice, you know, like all of these things are also Mm. resources. And can we start to explore how to sustainably share our resources? So it doesn't matter how much or how little you have, there's this, the ratio of sustainability or the degree of sustainability will change. But if we can all really lean into the spirit of reciprocity, filling ourselves up so that we can hold space for others, filling ourselves up so that we can contribute to the well-being of others so that they can Mm. fill up their cup and Mm -hmm. like, you know, exploring how this inner outer world can be bridged. I think it's, that's, you know, purpose work right there. That's, that's where we find our purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And maybe starting to think about or reflect on, that there's self-care at the individual level and then there might be a collective self-care that you can be part of and supportive with your cup that is filled already, participate to that self-care of the collective, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How can yeah, that and look? You know, when yeah, when we can do that, then like, you know, to be fully honest, the pandemic has really depleted my cup <laughs> and... And so it feels really good to be able to lean back and be held by others because they know and they've seen it in my action that like when they are depleted, I'll step up. And so there is this, yeah, there's this reciprocity, this back and forth of I got you, I got you. And I've been, I I was actually thinking of it the other day of back when we were practicing yoga in person in the room together. (laughs) I don't know if anyone remembers that. I'm having a memory of an occasion after class. I can't remember what it's called, but we owned and it was in a cycle. Like we did like it a wave in unison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was like a wave. So as soon as your breath is done, you just pick up your breath and you keep going. And at the start, it's it gets choppy, but eventually it just sounds like a whole sound, a full sound for like the minute that it we're harmonizing or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it's really, really beautiful because we're in this collective experience and there are, you know, let's say it's a room of 20 people. I can stop oming for a second to take a breath and then rejoin, but it doesn't impact. It doesn't take away from the mm. collective creation of the sound. And then as I'm coming back in, someone else is completing their breath, 
re-engaging their breath and then adding to the sound again. And so we're all coming in and out of the sound, honoring our own pace, i.e. taking breath when we need breath, but it doesn't take away from the power of that sound. I was like, wow, that's really, it feels like collective care when we think about that. Like if we were all united around the same goal, in the yoga room on our and that own instance, rhythm, it was with our own ohm. capacity. Yeah. Yes. But if we were to like swap ohm as the collective goal and put collective liberation and access and equity as the collective goal, then what would that look like if I needed to exhale, inhale, come back so that you can exhale, inhale, come back, but it doesn't shake. It doesn't shake or decrease the richness of the united goal. And this is the thing that I try to have people think of, not just in the teacher training that you mentioned, but I also have a course called Sharing Privilege and it's an intro to anti-oppression course. And like sharing can feel so hard for folks with more privilege that aren't used to sharing. And so I try to think about it as this ohm. Like you're not losing, the ohm still stays strong and powerful. It just means like exhale. <laughs> or like tap somebody out so they can catch their breath and while you hold it down with yeah, your with your sound mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. that's a beautiful thing to reflect on and how do we take that and then start to I don't want to say build community around us but like let's say build community around a shared goal like you were talking about how can we like embody that and actively build that community you have any tips? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think sharing vulnerably and listening compassionately, mm. right? Like when I started really being vocal about what my healing needs, like what the space needs to be and For you, how yeah. it's governed and the practices and the approaches, et cetera, et cetera. When I started being honest with myself about what my healing needed, then I found the way to be courageous enough to communicate that and then courageous enough to experiment with it. And then, you know, people started supporting and orbiting. Like it starts small with my family being like, yeah, you can do it. Yes. You deserve that. Yes. Go take that space. Yes. Go say those things. And the more that my inquiries were supported with yes, the more courageous I felt, which meant the more people I ended up sharing vulnerably to, which meant the more yes, which meant the more people, which meant the more yes, and so and so and so it goes. And now it's Mm. like all of these people that are feeling brave enough to be vulnerable, brave enough to be honest with themselves, courageous enough to be honest with other people. And then now we're in this feedback loop of honesty, courage, Mm. inquiry, compassion, all supported in by this orbit of yes, 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 you deserve to heal. Yes, 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 you can be courageous enough. Yes, yes, Mm. yes, you can be curious enough. So that and then just, you know, find people that need the same things you do. And see how you can go get those needs met together or find people that have the thing that you need and be like, hey, let's build a bridge. <laughs> you know? Let's be Ten, friends. You say ohm now and I'll take a breath and then we'll go back and forth. Yeah, I think the first step is can you be honest enough with yourself to acknowledge whatever it is that you need, want, 
desire, deserve, boundaries, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and then start communicating and getting curious about who else needs this or who has this already and how did they get it and how can we do it together? And it's funny that I made that nuance in the question because I feel like it's part of your answer without really talking about that. But it makes a huge difference because it's not about you and there's not a discrepancy of like you, I'm a leader in this community, you know, like you're, mm. you're all leading together into this thing and you're relying on each other and There's this sharing at a different level in the way you describe it, I feel. There's a true support both ways. And I feel that brings us further. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. You know, something that I used to say over and over again early on in my career was if you're alive, you're a leader. And, you know, my hope is that I can help people wake up to that because I've witnessed in my experience what my leadership looks like when it's not met with support. You know, when it's not met with support, what do I think I'm capable of? You know, like the, I had lots of self-doubt before I opened Good Body Feel because I didn't see an example of myself doing it already. You know, mm -hmm. like now there are a couple more folks of color, racialized folks that do own studios. But when I was starting out, there wasn't. And so... I didn't consciously realize I had this belief until my partner called it out on me, but I didn't think I was strong enough, smart enough, rich enough to create something meaningful that would help other people mm. because I didn't see it. I didn't yeah. see it. Yeah. You didn't um, have examples of it to get inspiration from. Yeah. And no one was saying, oh, you should do it. You should do it. It was the opposite. People are like, really trying to keep me small. And it was only my husband at the time that was like, you can do it. You can do it. I'm like, you're married to me. Like, it's your job to keep like, you're to slightly biased. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But as I slowly incrementally was like, okay, if I can dial into my leadership 10%, what would that look like? If I dialed into my vision of creating space, what would that look like? And so by taking these small, sustainable, like risky, but edgy or like edgy, but sustainable and still quote unquote safe or safer leaps, and then those land in yes. Yeah. Then it became this like confirmation bias of like, oh, I can do it. Oh, it's meaningful. Oh, other people are into it. Oh, they want to do it too. Oh, I can help them do it. Oh, I'm going to create a teacher training. Oh my God, it's sold out. Oh my God, now they're teaching. And, and then like, it just keeps on going and going and going. I also want to be so transparent. It's not all of this. Yes, like, oh my gosh, the obstacles that I've had to overcome and the resilience that I've had to cultivate. But because of the supportive yes that the community shares and because of what I've witnessed in like the teacher trainees stepping into their leadership and creating their own thing and using their unique voice and their unique approach, it keeps the gears lubricated so that I can keep, you know, that the machine, the collective machine can stay going. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so how do we dial in in that inner leadership, whether we are teachers, you know, we are a movement educator in some way, to create more accessibility or inclusion. I've heard you say it's not because you feel or you think that all people are welcome, that they feel that. And I think that's a very good reminder on its own. But how do we 
step towards that leadership to truly create a place that is inclusive of everybody? Mm. One is just notice who's missing. Mm -hmm. So if you're an existing movement teacher and you're engaging in the question, like, how can I make my practice more accessible? Who's missing? Like, who's not showing up to your classes? And then get curious and honest about why. And maybe get courageous enough to ask somebody who is of the demographic that is missing in your classes about like, hey, yeah, start reaching out intentionally to those folks and offering your gifts and services to those communities. And it really depends on the teacher's social location. But I think the first step is looking at who's missing. And then the second step is really honing in on your inner resources and unpacking because everyone has bias. We're all human. And a part of human is that we're going to make mistakes. We're going to cause harm. We have caused harm. And so working with your inner resources to be able to hold space for that truth that you are a human, you are incredible, and you are harmful. And when we can start to be okay with the inevitable harm that that we may cause unintentionally, then you can start stocking up on resources to hold compassionate space for yourself when you do eventually cause that harm and learn how to apologize in a way that doesn't amplify the harm or increase the harm. You know, uh, an analogy I often talk about in the sharing privilege course is it's not enough to say, oh, these people are missing, so I'm just going to invite them. It's like, is the soil that you've cultivated hospitable for that plant to grow? Mm -hmm. Like a tomato is not going to grow in the desert. And a cactus isn't going to grow in like really Mm. moist soil. So if if you have desert-like soil where only cactuses have been growing, and then you go to a tomato and you're like, hey, tomato, come over here and play with us. It's going to (laughs) die. It's not going to be good for that tomato. And then you're going to feel bad about yourself. So look at what's around, you know, survey the land. What's your landscape? Is it a diverse set of plants that are growing? Yes or no? Okay, if it's not, then look at the soil, i.e. you. What's your inner processes? What are the beliefs you have? What are your resources around accepting the fact that you are going to be harmful at some point and probably repeatedly? And how are you going to deal with that? Are you going to gaslight? Are you going to dismiss? Are you going to, like, all of these things, like, do you need to take anti-oppression fertilizer to make your soil more hospitable to other people? Then that would be the next step. And then it just like, as we keep dialing into these things, then it becomes clear and clear what the next step after that is. Yeah. Assess your landscape, assess your soil, who's around you, what's inside of you. Yeah, absolutely. I heard something interesting that kind of, I was reflecting on my own story as you were, or my own journey as you were talking. And one of the things that really helped me shift at some point was letting go of that shame or the self-judgment of creating arm, that was stopping me like from mm-hmm. looking into it more honestly and then taking actions, right? Because you get stuck in that storm of self-judgment and you don't go anywhere. You're not helping mm-hmm. <laughs> in any way, right? So there's oftentimes like tiny little shifts that need to happen so you can continue to move forward. And I think it's interesting to think about those things and 
like when we look at privilege, even just to start to acknowledge your privilege regularly in a way you're able to stay present and embodied, like we were talking in the beginning, with your yes. shame around it. Like just be like, it is, you know, I am feeling this and I'm still able to bring it up and to acknowledge it. And I think there's really simple ways we can do that. We had Sienna Sherman on the podcast just a few episodes ago. And she started when she introduced herself right away. She started with like you did pronouns, but then she went on to be like, I am a yoga teacher and I'm privileged because, and she made the list of like, mm. she's white, cisgendered, able body. Like, and she went on and on and on and how like her intention to honor yoga. And like, that was her introduction. And I was mm. like, that's a really simple extra step to take to be like, this is part of who I am, but I'm showing up to do this work. You know, we have to sometimes stop to try to change the world in one action, you know, and find the one thing that will make the huge difference and start to do these little things every day and all the time. Yes, totally, mm -hmm. totally. Yeah. And, you know, starting off a yoga class like that, like I start all of my classes with my name's Robin, pronoun her. And that kind of naming of one social location will signal to folks to use me as an example. Like if I were to go to the teacher's class that you just named and I'm in their class and I hear them start off their class like that, I'd be like, okay, <laughs> they've, they've done some, some work and that will increase my trust that it will be okay here. Like I won't have to necessarily keep all of this armor on that I usually wear when I go into a white-centered yoga space because of how frank they are about naming their whiteness. Yeah, and so, you know, the more we can get into the practice of naming our social location as a way to signal to the folks who maybe have identity intersections that are made to be marginalized, it lets us know like, oh, at least they know about identity politics to a degree. And they're not going to then deny me of the lived experience that of my, my identity. Yeah, exactly. Like that. I can't change the fact that I, as a dark brown Asian woman, experience the world this way. And if I notice that the person that I'm with acknowledges their privileged social location, it makes me feel 10% more at ease of like, okay, this person at least will be open to a curious, compassionate conversation with me. But if it's the opposite of like, why do you make everything about race? I'll immediately put my walls up. I'll make a decision. Okay, Robin, are you going to educate? Or are you going to turn away? Or are you going to set a boundary? Right. And like <laughs> that choice comes up for folks made to be marginalized in almost every interaction. Yeah. So for, you know, the white folks that are listening and the folks who occupy social locations that are closer to the privileged center, like the more you can name it, the more that you can recognize that folks who aren't at the center experience more daily challenges, then it at least shows us, okay, this person might be open to a conversation. Should they have an oopsies in their class and accidentally engage in a microaggression against me unintentionally. If they were to set the space by naming their privilege, and if they unintentionally had a microaggression, I might be more primed to be like, hey, I know you Can didn't intend chat? to, but yeah. yeah. 
But when you said this, it was like, ooh, a little, a little ouch. <laughs> so maybe don't do that again. Uh, and I would feel safer to have that conversation, which would then contribute to their learning, which would then contribute to the increased safety of the spaces that they're holding as a teacher. But there are many times, many teachers where things go down and I'm like, nope. <laughs> Not only am I not going to bring it up, but I'm just not going to come back because I do not feel safe here. I do not trust that if I were to bring this up to them, that they would be able to hold the quote unquote lower vibrational inner states. It would the require to have... raising. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have to be able to hold that space to hold a conversation about a question of that nature. Yeah. For sure. And to no look at yourself wants- and be like, oh, crap, I did that. Yeah. Yeah. No mm-hmm. one wants to yep. hurt other people. Like, yes, we're inherently harmful, but not intentionally. Like, no one wants to have a yoga class and accidentally be racist or accidentally be a bigot or whatever it is. And so to hear that feedback, that's a real, like, oh, man, I Yucky. suck. <laughs> you know, like, that's Yucky. a really yep. hard thing to hold. And it is your duty to learn to hold it so that you can prevent it from happening again. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Any suggestions of tools for people to deepen their awareness of their internalized bias, oppressions, whether they're teachers or they're leaders in some other ways in their world? Yeah. Anything that works for you that you teach in in your world? Yes. Take a breath and notice how it feels in your body to say, I am harmful. I am a human and I am harmful. And I am amazing, right? Like just even that, even just that practice every day, like my name is Robin. I'm a human. I'm incredibly creative and I'm incredibly harmful. (sighs) What comes up in the body, right? And like, especially if it's new, this acceptance of the inherent harm that we cause, if it's new, the charges in the body might be quick. Like, do you tighten? Do your mm, cheeks get hot? Absolutely. Like, what is the embodied response to the feedback that you are harmful? Because if you are giving yourself this feedback by just this thought exploration, I am harmful, you can feel like the anatomy of your defense. And then you can use your tools to calm the defense, come back into your regulation breath, you know, paradox, like, yes, and yes, I'm harmful. And I am open to learning and doing better. Right. And so if you can like learn the anatomy of your reactivity and the anatomy of your defense, and then what tools, what inner resources do you have to create that groundedness again? So that when someone in your class or whatever triggers you, like triggers that reactivity, you can be like, oh, the anatomy of my defense is here. I can feel it. My shoulders are here. My cheeks are hot. Like but whatever I know what to for do. you. I know what to do. Take three breaths. Say something nice to myself. Ask a question. Right. Ask. Ooh, that's the one. Ask a question. Like if you are feeling reactive, let the first thing out of your mouth be a question instead of a declaration. Like I'm not racist. My best friend is black. <laughs> it's like oh, that doesn't count. <laughs> so. If you can come out the gate with a question rather than a declaration, then it'll set Mm. you up for ongoing conversation. So that's like a quick tool in the like that you can take away in your pocket right now. It brings us back to like where we started, where it's like 
the mat is a safe space to work on a smaller scale within yourself. It's safe space to work on a smaller scale. So you're able to receive someone's feedback when it happens that you do something that's like, ugh, that's yucky. Like if you've been able to at least have that conversation to yourself and acknowledge and accept and still love yourself through your imperfection, when someone points out that imperfection, chances are you're going to be more comfortable receiving it, less defensive, more curious and inquisitive about it, right? While you regulate yourself and then you can Mm. continue to grow. It's a simple yet extremely powerful tool, I think. Yes. And so hard. (laughs) So hard. My gosh. Like, even though I talk about this, even though I work on this kind of stuff a lot in my coaching practice, like I, I coach a lot around difficult conversations and personal empowerment. I've been a mediator in difficult conversations sometimes too. It's way easier on the outside to be like, oh, everyone take a breath. But, you know, my husband just has to say one thing to me or like my youngest can just say one thing to me and like my anatomy of defense is really here. And I'm like, oh, oh, trying to use my... So I just want to like normalize how difficult that process is. And it's an ongoing practice. And that's why our mindful movement practice can become all the more necessary because it is that low stakes arena where we can practice and sharpen and acquire these really powerful tools of being in right relationship with ourselves, with others, with the land. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I think it's also important to remember if you are part of a marginalized group or many, you carry that more sensitive nervous system to that trigger because it's been triggered like again Mm. and again and again and again. So Mm. you might need a little bit more grace for yourself or as someone that's Mm -hmm. privileged part of the conversation, you need to give more grace and also acknowledge your Mm -hmm. own privilege that you don't carry the same amount of trauma within that same conversation and that there's an effort for you to hold the space Mm -hmm. for that trigger that you're part of creating. Yes. I love so much, Erica, that you brought that up because yeah, earlier when I talked about sharing resources, sharing privilege, it doesn't always mean the material. Like if you are of a more privileged demographic, you probably have more inner resources than a person who has historically intergenerationally been made to be marginalized. So if they're quick to trigger yeah, like share your privilege by letting them go off, you know, like let and them have the space. their tornado reaction while you hold the space and validate, 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 validate. Yeah, mm. I'm really, really glad that you brought that up. So before we wrap this up, I feel like we can talk about this forever, but <laughs> we'll honor your time and wrap this up. Is there anything else you want to add or is there one takeaway that you feel is important in discussion or something we haven't mentioned that you wished we had talked about, whether it's, you know, through the lens of yoga and decolonization of it or the body or the greater service, anti-oppression work, anything you feel you would like to introduce or conclude our conversation with? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's tricky. It's like, what more can I say that doesn't open up a new can of worms that will like <laughs> take us another 40 minutes to unpack? But there is no effort too small. And mm. there is no privilege too small to recognize. Like there's no effort that's too small. There's no, pri- and, and that might be a controversial thing. Like some people might be like, no, land back right now. And I get that. But uh, yeah, if we can really think about the sustainable edge of our leadership, like what is sustainable 
but edgy enough, like edgy enough to mean something, to make a I little mean, bit of a difference. step out of your comfort zone. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but be That's sustainable in your actions. But yeah. sustainable that, yeah, that it doesn't completely deplete you because we need you full. We need you full so that we can all own together. Like we need you full so that the revolution can come, but we need more people full. And right now the fullness is really disproportionately distributed. So if we all started considering what is like the sustainable edge that I can play at and serve at, then we would be all the more better. So there's no effort too small and you are a good human and you're gonna fuck up and that's okay. Just learn from it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And if, you know, I want to plug my sharing privilege course, it's an online course. I also want to plug my coaching. Like if what I'm saying resonates with you and you want to work one-on-one, or if you have a group that you want to move through an anti-oppression thing with, or a difficult conversations thing with, I love helping groups create internal culture guides so that they can figure out how to have these systems in place so that hard conversations can happen within a group dynamic in a way that's safer and braver. That's beautiful. And I'll put all your info in the show notes for people to find the link directly, but where's the best place for people to reach out? Is it social? Is it directly on your website? And can you name those for people that don't want to go in the show notes to see? Yeah, totally. You can find my website at royolaroyola.com, R-O-Y-O-L-A, R-O-Y-O-L-A.com. That's also my handle, except without the dot com. So at Royola Royola on Instagram. But I'm very hot and cold with Instagram. So just like send me emojis. Don't send me any real questions or anything on Instagram. And you can email me at Robin, R-O-B-I-N, at goodbodyfield.com. Goodbodyfield.com is the website for the virtual studio. So if you want to see what it would look like to have a practice that is centered around these sorts of questions of inner agency, inner empowerment, and relational inquiries, then you can check that out. All of our classes are sliding scale. And there are a number of teachers. Everyone teaches in their own unique way. Mm -hmm. And don't hesitate to reach out. I love having conversations with people because this is how we generate the momentum towards collective liberation that we all deserve. This is how we create yes. (laughs) This is how we create yes. Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much. It really was an honor to share space. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast anywhere you listen. Come and connect with us on Instagram at on and off your mat podcast. Screenshot you listening to this episode with your takeaways. Check out our membership platform to become a premium member and get your hands on all our exclusive content, including our class library. You can find the show notes for this episode at ericabelanger.com slash 123. Before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to the growing team behind this podcast for their support in making this possible, and that includes all our premium members. Once again, thank you for listening, and until next time.